Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Welcome to this week's episode of Absurdity, where we explore all things absurd in religion, culture, and society. And today, unfortunately, Tony is not joining me, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Today is kind of a huge episode as we talk about something um, that's gotten a lot of attention in the Adventist world in recent weeks. Uh, We're going to be talking about Souls West, which is an outreach school in uh, Prescott, Arizona. And some stories of sexual, or not sexual, I'm sorry, of spiritual abuse that have come out in recent in recent weeks as a result of um, of one former student releasing her witness statement about the organization. So, for my non Adventist listeners, um, let me give you just a little bit of context here. So, Souls West is a part of an outreach school network. Um, another form or another name for this is Youth Rush. These are uh, several schools that teach teenagers, young adults, uh, basically skills in outreach. Uh, so, a lot of students when they when they graduate from these schools, they're unaccredited schools. They're mainly they're meant to prepare you for evangelism and Bible studies, things like that. And so. Many students will go on to become a Bible worker for a church. What this means basically is that um, they'll go on to work with baptismal candidates, people who are wanting to be baptized. They'll give them Bible studies. They'll help them integrate into the church, Uh, basically kind of like the personal assistant for the entire local church that they're working for. Um, With these outreach schools, typically the way they train them is through literature evangelism. Uh, One of the one of the terms for this as well is culporting or canvassing, which uh, you'll hear later in this episode as well. And what this is, is they go door to door selling books, their health books, their uh, religious books, um, and they'll do this at businesses. They'll do this in neighborhoods, kind of you name it. Uh, and you're working alongside several other students and a lot of the money you make, uh, some of our Adventist universities will actually match that in, in the form of a scholarship. Others, um, others with their money will help pay off their own school bill, and some will just take some home as a paycheck. So Souls West is in Prescott, Arizona. It's a part of the um, 
It's a part of the Arizona Conference, so it's about midway between Phoenix, Arizona, and Flagstaff. Um, I've actually been out to Prescott. I worked at a summer camp out there um, back in 2014, I guess. Um, and basically what happened is several weeks ago, uh, Sasha, Sasha Mehia is her name. She released a uh, PDF of a witness statement that she had released or that she had typed on November 25, 2018. So this is last this is almost a year ago. And it's not entirely clear if you look at this what this is referring to. Um, given that it's a witness statement, clearly it means that there's some sort of investigation involved. Um, and this is actually why Tony is not on today's episode. It's actually not because he's involved in the investigation. In fact, Tony himself has absolutely nothing to do with this. But because there are potential legal ramifications to this story as a whole, Tony has decided that it's best not for him to be on this because um, his family is from Arizona, has a lot of uh, ties back to Arizona. And so we just thought it best that this one be one he sits out on um, just as a way of safety and a way of protection. So Tony wishes he could be here. Unfortunately, he can't. Um, and we apologize for that. So Sasha Mejia releases this witness statement and she publishes it and she publishes the Pacific Union Conference, which is the union that the Arizona conference is in. She uh, publishes their response as well. And she gives several examples of at Souls West when she was a student, uh, ways they harmed her reputation, ways they harmed her finances and lied to her, ways they caused her mental anguish. And some of this stuff is really nasty. Um this is stuff that she signed. This is stuff that she has confirmed to the best of her ability. And other students involved in Souls West have um, have corroborated this story. And, and what's what's actually happened out of this is a bunch of former students, current students of different outreach programs around the U.S. have actually started coming out in droves, sharing their stories in comment sections and online of. Um, kind of the, the toxic culture that can exist in these organizations. Uh, these are official Adventist organizations. And I will say this. Uh, I know a lot of people that have gone through them. I personally haven't gone through it. Uh, in this episode, you're actually going to hear from someone who went through Souls Northwest, which is, uh, which is a, it's now closed down, but it used to be out uh, in the Oregon area. And... Um, He's someone who really enjoyed his time there, despite some of the negativities of the culture. So this is something that actually is can be something that is really kind of confidence building and something that is huge as far as personal growth is concerned for those that attend it. So I don't want us to think that like I'm not I'm not out here trying to um, take aim at these organizations or talk about how terrible they are. That's not it at all. I want to cover specifically what Sasha has said. And so we'll link to the PDF that she, um, that she has released so that you can see it. But basically here are some of the highlights of what she, um, of what she talked about basically. So first she says at Souls West, I was often referred to as the troubled student repeatedly referenced as the example of what not to act like and who not to associate with. The culture of Souls West further perpetuated this stereotype and created an in-group, out-group mentality, which damaged my professional reputation in the literature evangelism circle and caused some of my greatest friendships to be severed. So she goes on to name some very specific individuals. Um, 
of how some le- some leaders from her conference would uh, talk about her in leadership meetings um, and her character flaws being things that would keep her from being in a canvassing leadership position. Um, they also claimed that no one wanted to work with her who's, um, because her character was, quote, high maintenance. Um, she, at one point, had applied for a job as a Bible worker in her conference. She was assured the position by the pastor, but the uh, before the board meeting where that would have been approved, um, the pastor of that church had received a call from a central, uh, from her conference executive or the, the conference officer that had, um, that had been poorly uh, talking poorly about her and informed the pastor that she wouldn't be a good fit for this position because of her unstable past and her high maintenance character. Um, and she says she later confirmed this statement with William Crick, the man who said it, uh, who did not deny saying it. Then she goes on, um, to say that the the director of Souls West would often refer to the students who questioned the leadership and different prerogatives at Souls West as the Sashas of the group. Um, for years, for several years after my graduation, he continued to spread defamatory statements about my character and the dangers of my influence to future cohorts. On several occasions, he encouraged my friends to cease their relationships with me, stating that close association with someone who had been shunned from a career in Souls West circle or in the Souls West circle, could have the same implications on them. Um, wow. So, basically, Michael Tuzan is is the is the director, or was the director. As of currently, he's no longer the director, but he and his wife, Candace, were the directors. Um, there, uh, she, she actually tells, uh, Sasha says, one student was so often compared to me that when she finally met me, she told me she had hated me for so many years because everyone would compare her to me and she was deemed the new Sasha of Souls West. Right? So here's just general financial harm. And I can understand if someone reads that and thinks, meh, um, I've heard worse. Unfortunately, worse is coming. Right? So then she starts going into financial harm. Um, at Souls West, our schedules were managed so tightly to not allow for any spare time. I was used for free labor, working as a canvasser for less than meager wages, and for free as one of the maintainers of the campground as part of an exchange made with Camp Yava Pines to maintain the campgrounds for free and disguise it as student daily chores. So this is a thing. Free labor is a thing. Um, I know for a lot of advanced academies, they use free labor as it's kind of like community service, but basically it's discipline for dorm students uh, who are breaking curfew or who are doing you know inappropriate things. Uh, they'll often be put on free labor as punishment or as discipline, and it's usually just like cleaning part of the dorm or something like that. So... Um, she says, uh, she, so she goes into some specific examples. She says, I currently have an outstanding balance of over 4,000 owed. However, I worked 10 hour shifts daily for two years, pushing, uh, MAGA books is another term for it. Um, often making 300 per day. I was coined the top seller and still ended with debt. In a verbal agreement made with Literature Ministries Director of the PUC or the Pacific Union Conference, Larry Carter, I was affirmed that I would leave Souls without owing any money, and instead, them actually paying me some money back since I was a top seller. He cited my eight-week canvassing summer book revenue of $10,000 as an example to back his statement. Um, so, she graduates with with 4000 in debt after being a top seller and being promised that she wouldn't owe anything. 
or at least being affirmed that she wouldn't owe uh, anything. Then she calls out Larry Carter um, for um, basically discouraging, this is what she says, uh, Larry Carter discouraged our cohort from pursuing higher education under the premise that Jesus was coming soon and that the use of a bachelor's degree would be null and void. He instead encouraged us to stay in the canvassing work, continuing to accrue debt while living in less than desirable conditions and having provided no form of student insurance. For two years, I had no insurance and many pocket out-of-pocket expenses. Despite this, this is and this one this one hurts. Despite this, Larry Carter had a bachelor's degree and lived the comfortable lifestyle he often discouraged students from pursuing. So um, you've got hypocrisy in leadership. You've got um, kind of a misleading promise uh, or a misleading affirmation that actually ended with putting ended putting someone in debt, even though they were a top seller and bringing in um, several thousands of dollars. Right. So um, so Sasha's time uh, actually ended up costing her more than she was able to make, even when she was working for ten hours a day. Anyone making ten hour shifts daily for two years is going to make more than four thousand dollars so i'm i'm slightly I, I i mean i get that there's probably tuition involved and things like that but still um this one is kind of a hard sell for me as far as justification from the souls west side of things um she goes into mental anguish and here's where this gets worse um this is really this is the spiritual abuse. Um, there's financial harm. There's definitely harm to reputation. And I, and I'm not going to say those aren't abuse, but here's the spiritual abuse. Um, here's the part of this, um, that really just makes me sick. And I really have wrestled with this. This is the constant distress of trying to lead, to live up to the leader's expectations and succeed in the literature evangelism circle has pushed me into constantly overanalyzing my own worthiness damaging my personal relationship with Christ and causing me to question Seventh-day Adventism. So um, we're going to get into this later in the episode more in depth, but I do want to just go over a few highlights from this section. First, she says, At Souls, my monetary performance was always linked to my level of spirituality. Meaning, when canvassing, because I was labeled a top seller, if I didn't reach my normal selling goal, Candace Tuzan, Michael Tuzan's wife, would often say it was because my spiritual relationship was off with God and he could not bless me. On various occasions, I was told by female leadership to charge in, to, or to change into looser fitting clothing because I was causing brothers at Souls West to stumble with my body. I was accused of over-sexualizing my appearance and was constantly body shamed for having a curvier figure. This caused me to hate myself and my body. Now, we did an episode on body shaming. You're welcome to go check that out. It was just, um, I think it was episode 98, um, when we talk about dress codes and how um, modesty culture and dress codes are actually so harmful to to, to women and to females in general. Um, But then uh, we get, um, then we get into before entering morning worship, leadership would police students asking if they had their morning devotionals. If the answer was no, they would immediately be scolded and sent back to their rooms to pray and read the Bible before participating with the rest of the group. This was done publicly. Um, The last piece of this is kind of the most damning in my opinion. Uh, This one hurts and it absolutely disgusts me. Um, And I'm just going to kind of... um, I'm going to read the highlights from this because this is a really long quote, but the link is in the show notes if you want to check it out. 
In May 2016, a lesion was found in my head. The doctor thought it could be or could potentially be a cancerous tumor, and I was set to have an MRI done to be sure. I called Candace Tizan to ask for prayer for the situation because despite all the harm she had caused to my life, I still wanted her approval and blessing. After I explained the situation, she proceeded to tell me in a soft-spoken, sorrowful voice, Oh, Sasha, I am so sorry. This is a tumor, and you are going to die. Then she quotes Proverbs to her and says, Listen, and, and, and this, this takes a cake for me. She says, Your constant stress over taking care of your mom and getting your master's degree has caused you to develop cancer. You have selfishly left the work, the work of canvassing, and pursued your wants outside of the ministry. I am so sorry. I will pray for you, but this is cancer. Wow. Okay. So Sasha hangs up the call. Um, and she says, once I hung up the phone, I went into a panic attack and thought I was going to die. I was rushed to the ER where I was put on Xanax to calm me down. I fell into a deep depression where I wouldn't eat, sleep, or drink for over a week because of the trauma of her prophetic message. I had rapid heart, I had rapid heart palpitations and would constantly replay her words and go into an anxious state. I was put on three medications, an antidepressant, a sleep aid, and a beta blocker to slow my heart rate. I accrued severe debt because of unmanageable hospital bills and began psychotherapy to help me live a normal life. Um, man, um, my SDA counselor, also familiar with Souls West and its effect on people, told me that unfortunately her business is alive and well because of the mental damage Souls caused uh, to other students. So with The Scratch, which is the news... Um, the news publication that I've co-founded and, and we've launched uh, publicly as of September 1, um, we actually covered this story. And one of the things as we looked into this is we wanted to know a little bit more about Souls West. So we looked at their website. Um, Candace and Michael have since been fired. So the Pacific Union Conference released a statement basically saying that thanks to witness statements and testimonies and people reporting it to them, they were able to do an investigation, find that these allegations were true, and had since removed uh, Michael and Candace Tuzon from um, from or at, from Souls West, and um, that was released September five. That letter from the Pacific Union Conference confirming that they had been fired. But when we went to the Souls West website, the director's welcome letter was still Michael and Candace Tuzon. However, tonight, um, as I'm looking at this on October third, it looks like they've changed it with the new leaders. Uh, Westney and Karen White. So it looks like there are new leaders in place and props to the Pacific Union Conference for um, for research, for investigating this and for standing with the victims of spiritual abuse. And um, so huge props to them. I think I call it the system a lot. I call it the institution a lot, but man, when it gets it right, I'm glad it gets it right. They're still under fire, however, because um, the new directors who are in charge of Souls West apparently were trained under the same methods. And so there are concerns that they will still maintain in their um, maintain the same kind of culture that existed prior. Now, there's a lot of people that don't know a whole lot about canvassing and don't know a whole lot about, uh, know a whole lot about this. And so, um, thanks to some members of our team, we were able to get connected with someone um, who actually went through Souls Northwest. Uh, his name is Aaron Mumu, and he and I sat down in Chattanooga 
and we had a conversation. And so um, he talks about his experience with canvassing and with outreach school. He talks a lot about um, kind of the culture that he experienced. And I'm excited for you to hear his story because I think there's uh, really no one better to hear from as far as gaining perspective on this. And one thing as we go into this, especially if you're someone who knows Aaron, um, I would trust that you know his heart here. Um, but the biggest thing for him uh, when we talked about him coming on was we're not here to attack anyone. We're definitely not here because we want to see anything shut down necessarily. But I think in the same way that I talked about Relevant Magazine last week uh, in last week's episode, um, I now talk about this. It's not necessarily about tearing down the organization, but it's about tearing down the culture and the, and the toxic system that allows these this behavior to happen. And so um, you're going to hear a bit more about that, but... We wanted to update you on Souls West and let you know kind of what's going on with that. And um, I'm going to end this episode with uh, my conversation with Aaron Mumu. It was an incredible time, and I thank him uh, profusely for coming on. All of my contact info is in the show notes, so you're welcome to reach out. Um, if there's anyone else who has encountered spiritual abuse, uh, I would love for you to reach out to us and let us know. You can find the also a contact form on Absurdity's website. We want to talk about this stuff. This is incredibly important. And if you have been spiritually abused by anyone, let me be the first to say, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry that you've been given a picture of God and ministry that is completely antithetical to who God is and what ministry is. Um, I'm sorry for the harm that you've experienced and know that uh, we at Absurdity are praying for you as you seek uh, recovery, as you seek healing, and you seek justice for what was done. Um, It is... uh, it's terrible that it ever happened. And the entire reason that we're doing this, the entire reason I'm having this conversation is because the best way to deal with these things is to shine a light on them. And the only way to shine a light on them is for us to talk about them. So if you do have a story that you want to share, please let me know. I'd love to feature more stories. I'd love to um, kind of really shine a light on this in a way that can really make a positive difference in this culture, because there are good things here. And I think you'll get that from, from Aaron's story as well. And I think those good things are worth saving. I think those good things are worth pouring into, um, but not at the expense of people's spiritual lives and physical health and mental health and emotional health. So thank you guys so much for listening. Here's my conversation with Aaron Mumu. So I'm here with Aaron Mumu, who is a student at Southern Adventist University. He's studying uh, English and secondary ed. Are you doing that as like a double major or are you doing that as like a major minor? It's more like a major minor. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, um, you have experience in canvassing or literature evangelism. You've done it for four summers. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those you were, looks like a leader for mm-hmm. the program as well. And so what you attended um, we just spent the last 20 minutes talking about Souls West, but you attended Souls Northwest. Yes. Um, so different. Let's be like, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that we're clear <laughs> that these are, these are two, it's the same overall, I guess, pro- umbrella of a program. Yeah. But um, it's not the exact same place. Yeah. It's not the exact same place in terms of like the curriculum and the model, um, virtually the same, but in terms of the people who are in charge and location and the people who attended, there, yeah, there's there's some differences. So obviously, because there's different people in charge, different cultures, um, to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So can you let's just give us some, give me some kind of background here. What is what is canvassing? 
So canvassing, um, essentially, uh, at least how we would do it, um, we get into these canvassing summer programs. They last for 10 weeks and usually comprised of teenagers or young adults who would go door to door selling books about Jesus. And um, that's the canvassing part. And the Souls West, Souls Northwest part, that's uh, like a two year Bible outreach program really focused on canvassing as well. Uh, the first year is focuses more on leading in a, another canvassing program. Uh, the second year is more focused on Bible working for a local church. Um, okay, so you partner with a church that's in the area of mm-hmm. that of the school that you're going to. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. Um, so can you kind of, I guess, just explain the school a bit? Like what, what if I'm thinking about going as a student, like, what is the experience? What what does it mean to actually go through one of these outreach schools? What's what's the experience like for like for you? What was mm-hmm. your experience? What was it like to actually participate as a student and 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 go and mm-hmm. attend this? Okay, yeah. Um, you know, it's a smaller school, obviously. Um, when I went, we had I had ten kids in my class, so really small. Um, but you know, you have. A lot of instructors who are really focused on the Bible and um, who really cared about you spiritually, I felt like, in my experience. And so it was really great. And you got to meet friends who also cared about spiritual things. And that was really important to me. To me so. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So when you, um, so you leave home, are you dorming? Are you staying in a church? Like where, 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 what is, what is the living situation? Oh, yeah. So for us, we um, we actually partnered with one of the local Adventist academies, and we stayed in their dorm. And so, uh, yeah, so dorming, roommates, the whole thing. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, this one's a little weirder of a question, but in terms of cost, was this expensive to do? Because like you make this is a summer job to some extent, right? If you're selling mm-hmm. books, are you making money as well? Yeah, um, so throughout, actually, throughout your time, even at Souls, there'd be times where you would also go out and canvas as well. So you do make some money uh, through there to help pay for your schooling. I wouldn't say it's like, it's non-accredited, so it's not like super crazy expensive, but there's a little bit of money involved, yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, why did you decide to do Souls Northwest? Oh, why did I decide? Uh, let's see. I was I had just graduated high school and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so, you know, Jesus is always like a good option, right? So uh, fair. that's <laughs> yeah. a fair point. So I thought like, you know, Souls Northwest, you know, that could be like um sort of a time to figure out more about myself, but also like not waste time and like serve Jesus, you know? So that's part of the reason why I decided to go to Souls Northwest. Um, now, actually, Souls Northwest, in the middle of me being there, actually closed down in between my first and second years. And so we got, our class got the offer to be able to transfer to Souls West. Okay. Um, and half of my class decided to go. I chose not to go, partially because of being a part of this culture and part of this community i heard stories similar to uh what's coming out now with souls west and i thought i'm not going to risk that and so i didn't end up transferring to souls west because of that gotcha so you had already Mm -hmm. heard some of the stuff 
that has been coming out. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what were like, were you hearing that from just other people in outreach schools or were you like, I'm trying to think cause souls Northwest is not in Arizona where souls West is right. No so, souls Northwest is what in Seattle in, or it, in, in Oregon? Yeah. It's Seattle area, Auburn to okay. be more specific. Um, but yeah, uh, because it was so similar in the model and the curriculum, a lot of our staff had actually gone to souls West. Um, as students do they were alumni and they would tell us about their experience and you know being a part of the canvassing community sometimes uh you just connect with other people who had gone to souls west and some of them have had really great experiences and i don't want to take that away from them but others would they would have stories where similar to what's coming out right now and so that for me it was like i don't want any part of that um Mm. Peace out. Like, yeah. So I'm curious because if mm. this is staff at Souls Northwest saying this, right, at the time that you were doing it, mm-hmm. and we're specifically not mentioning years because mm-hmm. I don't want to, we're not trying to throw anyone specifically like under the bus here. We're not trying to attack anyone. This is more about the general culture and environment and the issues in inside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as well as kind of just shedding a light on what this is like. Yeah. Um, for those who've never experienced it or have mm-hmm. no kind of context for it. Right. So mm-hmm. um, why do you think? If, if these staff experience these firsthand, why do you think the staff decided to actually become staff then? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I've, I'm still in contact with some of my staff, and they always tell me one of their biggest fears when they took the job at Souls Northwest was that they would recreate the negative experiences they mm. had at Souls West. They wanted to keep all of the good things that they experienced at Souls West, but none of the bad. Um, you know, sometimes some of them, they still felt like they were able to draw closer to Jesus because of some of the things they went through, um, at the outreach school at Souls West. But in other ways, they felt like there were some parts that were more detrimental to their walk with Jesus. So, well, and this is, I remember reading about and hearing about, um, a really popular mega church out in, um, in Seattle, I think. Okay. I don't remember what it was. Mars Hill with Mark Driscoll was the, the evangelical church. Um, huge church, and it ended up, um, it ended up shutting down after he was let go as the pastor for mm-hmm. abuse of authority and a lot of other issues. Oh, okay. Well, one of the things I was listening to the testimony of a woman who was married to one of the campus, like one of the campus pastors for that mega church, and um, one of the things when everything was falling apart was they were asked, "Why don't you leave? Like, why don't you just get out?" Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things they shared was well, why should we be the ones that leave? Mm-hmm. Like, why, why are we the ones that have to leave when they're the ones doing something wrong? Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think you're, I think there's hints of that in, yeah. in what you're sharing, right? They're saying, mm-hmm. yeah, this, there was bad stuff. That doesn't mean the whole thing is bad, mm-hmm. but that means that there is, we can, we can take what was good mm-hmm. and reproduce that. And because we know what was bad and we know how it was happening, we can kind of get rid of it. Do you think in your experience there, do you think they got rid of a lot of that bad? Was there a lot that cre- crept in still? I think they really tried and I really appreciate that, you know, so much. Um, it's sort of like, this might not be a perfect analogy, but you know how like sometimes when you experience abuse, you tend to like, it becomes a cycle down to the next generation. It, sometimes it felt like that where like, you know, they really tried, but sometimes, you know, things slip in, whether it's because of culture or how they were taught. Um, yeah, some of those hurtful some of the ways that i felt hurt uh i felt like some of that did carry over 
Gotcha. Yeah. So what were, I guess, what are some elements of that culture that you saw creep in or what, um, what were some of those negative things? Can you, like, are those things you can name? Um, or yeah, how do, how can you kind of walk through those for us? Yeah. I don't want to try to call anyone out, but, um, but this is like how I felt yeah, and how I experienced. This is your perspective. Yeah. This is not like, this is what this is, is just giving us a lens to kind of look at this through. It doesn't mean yours is the only lens. And exactly. There, there's a reason mm-hmm. that these staff, even when they went through it negatively, mm-hmm. still stayed with it. Souls, yeah. Soul, the Souls program, Youth Rush, all of it. Um, overall, I think it's done good work. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But that doesn't mean there's not problematic things within it. So we're yeah. just kind of speaking to that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, just put that disclaimer out there. Yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things I felt like, um, you know, there's sometimes you feel like some leaders or some staff only care about you, only care about whatever performance output you put, or to be more clear, like however many books you can sell, like, or at least that's what they communicate. Like, you know, if you don't get me this certain amount of books, like you're not as valuable to me i guess mm. and um so that's the one of the things that i felt like kind of carried over in their communication and the other thing one of the other things i guess like yeah like it, it felt like you weren't to a certain extent you weren't worth as much as god said that you really were through. Unless you mm-hmm. sold enough books or were successful in the program. Yeah, uh-huh. And then related to that is like, um, there's this uh, idea that canvassing is one of the best, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? One of the best ways to prepare you for other types of ministry. Okay. Um, so like, there's also this sense of like, you know, if you're not good at canvassing or if you're not living up to certain standards in canvassing, then you know, maybe you're not going to do well in other ministries or maybe you're like socially like inept, I guess. Wow. Um, or at least maybe no one will say that outright, but that's at least the idea that I felt. Well, it's a strong um, implication. And, and mm. here's the thing, like you felt that, but these are stories coming out from multiple people yeah. that are that are corroborating this, mm. right? That are that are co-signing this idea mm. that, yeah, you you felt like you're your performance here dictated your or would predict mm-hmm. your future success and ability to do ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that when I hear this, it, it, it is a concern to me because I don't think that this was for most leaders. I can't speak for all of them, but mm-hmm. for most leaders in this, I would imagine that they never thought this intentionally this way. Yeah. But one of the things that you, you know, is that like teenagers, especially fresh out of high school or in high school, mm-hmm. um, they want the approval of leaders. They want the approval of their yeah. staff members. And they're, and mm-hmm. when it's something so closely tied to ministry, you definitely want, like you look up to those staff members in mm-hmm. many ways. So they, and whether they intentionally do so or not, it becomes kind of a manipulation to say, okay, you want my approval? Well, you need to be a top seller. See, the top yeah. sellers are getting my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. What they may see it as is I don't have, I have, I don't have the bandwidth or enough time to focus on everyone. So I have to give my attention to those that are really performing. Well, it could be a time management thing from their perspective. It could have been any number of things, but ultimately what ends up happening is it creates a different kind of culture 
yes. um, one that does have that that effect mm-hmm. one way or the other. Yeah. Um, so I I can see this, and I could see it being more a more a factor of ignorance or just naivety rather than necessarily intentional manipulation. Though yeah. there are probably some leaders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so I'm not trying to defend anyone here, but at the same time, um, ignorance, naivety, they they can explain some of this, but that doesn't excuse it by any means. Yeah, for sure. So um, now you've talked to me a little bit about kind of an in-group and kind of an out-group mentality, and you've you've mentioned this before as we've gotten with each yeah. other and talked. So can you can you give a little bit of context around that? Oh wow, um, yeah, definitely. So there's you know very related to the sense of you know canvassing is like you know the best preparation you have for other kinds of ministry. So there could be an in-group, out-group to a certain extent with like canvassers versus non-canvassers. Like, oh, like you didn't go through canvassing. You must, sometimes people will have this idea where like, oh, maybe you're not like um, at a certain level spiritually, you know. Uh, I know that there have been uh, times where they, people in canvassing haven't liked people from who did a uh, summer camp for work, you know, they're like, Oh, they must've like, they're not like spiritually at our level or something of that extent. And, uh, also with, because I went to souls Northwest and, um, there's also souls West going on, uh, a couple States away. There's also an in group out group with that. Like some of the, not everyone from souls West, thankfully. Uh, but there are some people from souls West who would find out that I was, I went to Northwest and they would be like, Oh, you, you went to the other souls. And uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Gotcha. So yeah. even between now that's interesting because when I hear in group out group, I hear more of a, um, and I've experienced this firsthand from people who have canvassed mm-hmm. this idea of I'm better than you or more prepared for ministry than you because I've done this kind of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you're saying is it's actually, it also exists between the schools that are in the exact same program. Yeah. Basically. Strange to me, but it makes sense as well. Um, especially if staff decided, you know, if if the staff at Northwest, for example, came out of West and they wanted to do things differently, then I could definitely see some judgment coming from mm-hmm. what our way wasn't good enough. Well, then yours is not going to be as good as ours. Yeah. Um. So I I could see that mm. coming out easily. Mm-hmm. So yeah, fair enough. Okay. So let's get away from the negative for a second. Mm-hmm. Um. What were some highlights of your time there? Like. You know, what were some of the fun things that you guys did or some of the cool things that happened? Any mm-hmm. cool experiences you want to share? Something like that. Oh, positive. Yeah. Let's switch gears. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, when I've obviously canvassed a ton, like four summers, that's a lot. And so, you know, you don't canvass for that long without any positive experiences. And one of the reasons why I kept on going back each summer is because, you know, I felt like I had found a community who was spiritual and cared about Jesus and also really seemed to care about, you know, the world around them. And so you, I think canvassing still is a really great place to meet people who are really spiritually minded. Um, Especially if you're in a place where you struggle finding those kinds of people. Um, And I'm, and you know, of course, like there's times where you're canvassing too, and you'll meet someone who you just really connect with and you get to see like you know you get to see God working i guess when you're at the door with them too 
And those are experiences that I hope I never forget. Um, specifics. I mean, I think my favorite times were my favorite book to sell was the Christ Object Lessons, and so whenever I would, I was able to connect with my experience,、uh, a part of my conversion story with people outdoors with that book. That was always a highlight for me.、Mm. Yeah,、mm-hmm. yeah. I would say you know one of the things that's really cool is. Like the people you get to meet doing this,、mm-hmm. um, you do, and and even with the negative experiences, one of the things that happens, people bond through adversity. So even the negative、yes. experiences、mm-hmm. can make you a family with the other people in that group. So true. So yes, there is,、um, which I think that's one of the ways that I think God has kind of built in His working through negative experiences. Is yeah, usually like when you have a community that you're going through that with, it bonds、mm-hmm. you together. So、um, true. So I think that's that's something that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know when I I went on a mission trip to Brazil once that mission trip was terrible by all <laughs> standards.、Um, church forgot they were supposed to feed me dinner each night like no one told them so I barely ate any food there.、Um, oh my goodness! I had gone through a breakup right before I left,、mm-hmm. um, so I was dealing with heartbreak and like on a th- and then gone for for like a month long mission trip where I was preaching. Yeah, my translator taught himself English and couldn't like and had a hard time translating. Um, there was just a lot going on there, right? Yeah. But man, my church members were awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like in the last day, we had a potluck, and that that remains, yeah, the best potluck I've、mm-hmm. ever had in my entire life.、Um, mm-hmm. I will never forget that lunch. It was amazing. <laughs> and one girl, one little like six year old that got ended up getting baptized at the end of the my preaching there, she um she drew pictures of what I was preaching about every night, and at the、oh. end of the at the end of The mission trip during that last potluck, she gave、mm-hmm. me a little handmade envelope with all of her drawings in it. No, and、oh. I was like, this chick was paying attention the entire time. You were awesome. Um, and then there was another one of my church members that wanted to marry me. That was another thing that made it bad, not good. <laughs> um, but those positive experiences were amazing.、Mm-hmm. The people you meet, and when you're actually doing ministry, right, bringing people closer to God、yeah. because you've handed them something. And you've given them a resource, and you've given them access,、mm-hmm. and so I think that's amazing.、Um, Definitely. So, when、um, overall,、um, before we jump back into some of the stuff that you experienced there from from the negative perspective,、mm-hmm. um, assuming the negative wasn't present the way that it is, would you do canvassing again? Wow, if、that's... you had to redo it. Wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I know, right? Well, I mean, and it's okay to have reservations, and the reservations could be more about you than they could be about the program itself. Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. I've, I feel like every summer I've, I've thought about it.、Um, actually, this last summer I had friends who were leading out in a program, and I decided to visit them, and actually canvas that day. So I canvas like two months ago for one day, and it was really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I would thought like, how did I do this for four summers? And then eventually, I thought, how did I even think I could do this for today? Like,、um, but you know, I would be open to it. Okay, I would、yeah. be open to it. No, I look. I love summer camp. I think summer camp's amazing. But when、yeah. I go back to visit summer camp, I'm like, I'm so glad I'm not any of you right now. <laughs>、um, it's you know, I miss the experiences with people, but I do not necessarily miss the workload and the. Yeah, yeah, like the actual work itself is is grueling. So、mm-hmm. no, I I'm with you. Reservations for sure. Yeah,、um, but it's I 
I think that is a really good statement to have on mm. record too, just in general, that you at least consider it um, mm. and that you might do it again. Um, but one of the things that, and the reason we're having this conversation is we're trying to shine a light on the things that you won't hear about really within official publications. Yeah. Right. These are things that are either said or done and it's not meant to be like this, Ooh, tell all. And we have the hot scoop, but this is mm. for perspective. This is for understanding because I don't think that we can work toward any solutions unless we know yeah, what's actually wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. If the church at large doesn't know there's a problem, how are we supposed to fix it? Yeah. And that's where these things, that's where these things fester and, and grow and become mm-hmm. real. So, um, what are some examples of, you know, some of the lesser known aspects of being a part of that culture or the negative experiences you specifically had, mm-hmm. um, you know, without specifically accusing anyone? Yeah. Once again, this isn't about the specific leaders. I think the Souls West story definitely is about some specific yeah. leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't really get around that one. Yeah. But your experience were just here for perspective, right? So yeah. without accusing anyone, what are some examples of things that happened to you that were not okay? Um. Yeah, let me try to describe my experience. So when I first got to Seoul's Northwest, I was told there was one day where I was, let's be honest, I wasn't doing well canvassing that day. Um, and I was told that I wasn't fair. And my leader that day, they told me that essentially like I wasn't doing well with connecting with people that day. And, you know, I sort of took it like, you know, what if I'm just not good at connecting with people, like, at all? And then throughout the year and throughout even my summer where I was leading in the canvassing program, you know, like, I still wasn't doing great. And, you know, there's this thought like, oh, my goodness, I there's something wrong with me socially. There's something wrong with me either socially or spiritually or because the number is like, they're telling me I'm not doing good at canvassing. and so. For me, that was for the couple of years after since leaving the mm. canvassing community, like I've battled this idea of like, maybe I'm just like an introverted person. Maybe like I just don't connect with people. Maybe I don't want to meet with anyone that I don't know and meet wow. new people. And so I really struggled with that for a couple of years. Um, just with that idea of like, maybe I'm not up to par with my social ability. Um, that's one thing. And then another thing that I feel like I went through is there's this idea of like, you know, I'm all about working hard and um, trying to push yourself where you can, but there's to a certain extent, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> um, mm. So like, there's this idea of like, you know, you've got to push through for canvassing because, you know, Jesus is coming soon. Um, which I understand, but I remember specifically there was this one week where I essentially lost my voice and I definitely did not want to canvas that week. But my leader that day, he was like, are you sure? Can you at least try sort of like trying to pressure me to continue canvassing, even though my voice was basically dead. Mm. Um, and he was successful for one day, got me to canvas for an hour before I said, no, this is too painful for my voice. I can't do this. Were you sick or was your voice just gone? It was a little bit of both. So okay. like I was sick and specifically my voice was gone. So, okay. Yeah. And like, I think, I don't think like if you're sick and your voice is gone, you shouldn't try. Like, I think more so what my issue with that experience was that I felt like I was pressured to do so rather than of my own 
correct choice like you know i want to do this if that makes sense it wasn't a hey how are you feeling let's make sure we're getting you good and you're like no i'm fine i really want to do this today i really want to try and Mm -hmm. like you didn't have agency there instead you were pressured into it exactly didn't feel like it was your decision yes Mm -hmm. yeah fair enough yeah and so those were those were the two like main experiences that i felt like i had um you know like just this idea of like you're not good enough Mm. um and you should try harder yeah because it doesn't seem like you're trying very hard um so like even if you're sick you should really try because ooh, you need to get those numbers up uh and and that yeah that is such a backwards view of like it's so weird to be given that kind of expectation in a faith where very much your efforts aren't supposed to be a part of the equation yeah it, like mm-hmm. it's back and, and this happens to pastors a lot by the way mm-hmm. um in adventism specifically in the um i would say pr- like pretty much all of adventist history but especially um you know 60s to the probably 90s pastors were really really pushed and some still are um, push to get your baptism numbers up, get your, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. whatever numbers up. You have to have this and you're not performing well enough if you don't have this many baptisms per year. Yeah. And what that ended up doing was pushing a lot of pastors over the edge. Um, and uh, sometimes you had inflated baptism numbers so that people could keep their jobs and their livelihood. Um, mm. You had, mm. it, it created a really toxic and negative culture based on effort. And it just, yeah. when you're a teenager, like your brain is not finished forming the way it's supposed to until you're yeah. 25, right? Mm-hmm. So what's get, what's happening is what's getting hardwired into your brain mm-hmm. is that your efforts are direct reflect or your salvation, your worth as a person is directly related and connected to mm-hmm. the work you put in and the effort uh, and, and, mm-hmm. and your success mm-hmm. in your, in your efforts when that's not the gospel at all. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It just seems like tragically ironic. <laughs> that's a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so in in the original thing that broke around about souls with the witness statement that was shared from Sasha Mejia, one of the things that she mentioned um, was when she left canvassing and she'd gotten sick, she was getting a tumor checked. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she was on the phone with one of the, her former leaders because yep. she still wanted her approval. And she had said, hey, because you left to take care of your mom and to pursue a master's um, and you left the ministry, mm-hmm. God, like, this is punishment. I'm sorry, you, but this is cancer. I'm going to pray, but mm-hmm. whatever. Um, this idea of leaving canvassing mm-hmm. for anything else. Yeah. Um, was that something that you experienced as well? Um, what I'm really thankful for during my time at Souls West, Northwest, uh, you know, I didn't experience it as much. Like, definitely not to the same degree as Sasha did in her testimony, which I'm really grateful for. And I think a part of it is because my staff had experienced that, you know, mm. on very similar level to what Sasha did. Um, and so for me, like, I think maybe, at least not for my staff, which I am very thankful for, you know, like with people who are maybe like more around peer level, you know, sometimes there would be people who would say, oh, why are you leaving? But thankfully, because, you know, there's this bond that you have with your peers where you've gone through some of the same kinds of hardships and adversity adversities you know they sort of understand when mm. you leave and i'm really thankful for them uh for that however when i read that from zasha uh Sasha's story i wasn't 
necessarily surprised, mm. which I almost like I expected reading that when I when I yeah. found out about it. So thankfully it wasn't my experience, but yeah. I've had friends who who have had that experience definitely. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's like the the telling thing here is that you weren't surprised by this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like like the I, if if you're like me in any way, shape, or form, the surprise you felt was more about kind of the the. It's not surprised that it happened, but it's just for some reason it just always shocks you that this happens in this context. It's kind of just like I wish it wasn't this way. Yeah. Um, and you kind of wish you were pleasantly surprised instead. Mm-hmm. But when you first read about the Souls West stuff, um, you know, what was your reaction? How did you take that? Oh, that's a loaded question. Man, like, you know, my initial reaction was, you know, a lot of anger just because I was reading it. But um, I wasn't surprised uh, with almost any of it. I've either heard stories that were very similar or experienced some of it myself to a less dramatic degree. Um, but I've experienced it. And that was sort of the reason why I didn't just decide to transfer to souls West. Um, but even though I was like really angry at first, I actually think for people like me, I think we needed to have this story come out. Mm. Um, I don't think I've told you this before, but before this had come out after my years, uh, canvassing, I had actually really been struggling with leaving the church. And like, or even like, there's this feeling of like, you know, if this is what ministry is like here with canvassing and with people who are essentially like using canvassing to sort of control or manipulate whatever, then how do I know that you know, Christianity in general is not just one big fairy tale? If, mm. Does that make sense? Where so like, you were thinking about leaving faith altogether. Yeah, to a certain extent, you know, sometimes, you know. I remember recently just this past year where like it felt so appealing to just leave faith altogether. But Jesus was like, no, like I'm real. I'm here for you. And I'm like, but why it would be so easy to like, just disregard everything about organized religion, especially organized religion. That was for sure. Up until this point, I was like, no, I don't want anything to do with organized religion. And sort of where I was teetering was just in faith altogether. And when this story came out, it was like, you know, I'm not alone in some of the things that I'm feeling or some of the ways that I've been affected by this community. Um, not only am I not alone, but like there's people who, who actually care yeah. who about not only about the gospel and about Jesus, but, how we're representing Jesus in our institutions. And, you know, that was for me, like, helped me, like, helped me restore, like, a little bit of the faith that I have in organized religion, especially, and, you know, even with, with Jesus, too. So for me, I definitely needed this story to come out mm. a thousand percent. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is why when I, when I talk with, Whenever I preach, one of the biggest things that I always talk about is community, that there's no, and it's a theme in this podcast over and over again. I always say like, there's no doing this without like true community and building Mm -hmm. a, building a positive one around you is incredibly important because the, the sharing of stories is, Mm -hmm. is is what is one of the things that bonds us. But ultimately what it does is sometimes you hear someone's story and you, and you think I'm listening to my own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and it can be the most freeing thing mm-hmm. in the world. It it really is, especially you know with this case, especially because a part of the culture is like you know don't talk negative about you know canvassing or about don't be critical to a certain extent about the ministry, and so the stories they're harder to come out than sometimes you know and so once they do finally come out it is such a it's like a breath of fresh air you know yeah um yeah i needed it a yeah thousand I percent i believe it mm-hmm. um what before before we talk about the changes that we kind of want to see here one of the things i, I want to give you the opportunity here and i didn't tell you i was going to ask you this question so i apologize it's okay <laughs> um if sasha was listening or anyone kind of involved in the Souls West stuff, or anyone, um, anyone who's kind of had similar experiences to what you've shared and what Sasha's experienced, is there anything that you would want to say to them um, that might be doubting faith altogether as a result of their experiences, or otherwise, is there anything that you wish they would know from your experience or anything? You know, specifically for people in the canvassing world, um, one of the things that we were taught, like, so a lot of times when we were canvassing, we would uh knock on doors of a lot of atheists and agnostics who have themselves felt like they've been burned by the church. Mm. And one of the things that at least in my programs we would say to those people were, you know, that was the church that burned you, but that wasn't necessarily God. God wasn't a part of that negative part, that negative experience that you had at church and in religion. And I think that me learning that in the canvassing world, that was one of the only things that kept me around the faith um and so i guess what i would say is that if you have experienced some kind of abuse or some kind of like you were told spiritually that you weren't up to par like that's not jesus that's religion done wrong but that's not at all what jesus thinks of you mm. yeah um, so what have you what have you learned about yourself through all of this which by the way i do think you're very much an extrovert um so um and this is coming from someone who's confused as an extrovert all the time yeah i'm super introverted i don't know why i run so many podcasts (laughs) um but you know what what are some of the things that you've learned about yourself through this and how have you grown from the experiences that you've had um how have i grown well specifically with the extroverted being social i've learned that well with specifically with our style of canvassing your time with the person at a door, it's like, if you have a good experience with someone, it's maybe like 10 minutes long. You only have like so much time to connect with people. Canvassing, if you're good at canvassing, what that tells me is that you're good at connecting with people quickly, very quickly. And I'm not necessarily the best at that. You know, like I canvassed for four summers, so I'm, I can do it. But, you know, uh, mostly I feel like I connect people more slowly through that was one of my favorite uh, things about being a leader in a canvassing program was that I get to spend every day with my students and really connect with them slowly through a process. And uh, that's the one thing that I learned about myself um, on a social level. And I'm starting to regain some of my extroversion. Mm. (laughs) Um, Definitely still have those introverted moments. Um, And I think I've realized you know, as I've become more vocal about some of the things I've experienced, I've realized that I'm a lot more braver than I thought I was. Hmm. Um, 
praise God for that. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah. Wow. I, um, mm-hmm. One thing I would encourage you to is as you grow, some of some of your introverted moments may just be a natural part of you growing up and just kind of learning self-control slash maturity too. Yeah. So don't ever think that the introversion is kind of against you. Sometimes it's just God's way of helping you balance yourself. That's a true. Bit. Yeah, um, definitely. The no, so thank you for that. I think I think being able to look into what you've learned about yourself and and I would I would think that canvassing definitely gives you a lot of confidence, like to be able to talk with someone. It did at first, you know. My first couple of summers, it really did. And then... Then the, the negative w- stuff <laughs> happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nope, I understand that. The poor days make you think, oh, I can't do this, and mm-hmm. maybe I'm not cut out. Yeah, I get it. Um, mm-hmm. So what are, some of, what are some of the changes that you want to see? This is a hard question, because I feel like it changes every day for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you but, mean the answer? Yeah, my yeah. answer. Uh, you know, one of the things... Uh, one of the things I want to start out with with this question is, I think we're we're seeing a little bit of this change right now, and that is, uh, I think people are starting to speak out more and being more willing to be critical about uh, canvassing and some of the culture about it. I mean, like we're seeing that now with uh, Sasha's statement uh, with Souls West right now, and I think that unless we continue being critical and being willing to speak out and ask questions. I don't think anything's going to get solved until we foster that kind of culture. Um, so that's one thing that I found really encouraging about this story. Um, and the other thing I guess is as leaders, having myself been a leader in canvassing program, uh, you know, like being willing to, obviously we're not going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. Um, and so being willing to own that with humility and just admitting that, yeah, I messed up. Can I somehow make up for it or fix it or make it right somehow? Mm -hmm. And I've had leaders, you know, in the, since the, since Sasha's testimony has come out, um, my, there's a lot of people commenting on Facebook and I read a comment from my old director, Jason Worf. And he was responding to someone who had also gone to Souls Northwest that I didn't really personally know. But his response was like, you know, I'm really sorry you went through that. Is there any, is there any way that I can help you recover through mm. it? And, you know, that it wasn't just him. There's other staff from Souls Northwest who had a similar response. And, you know, that meant so much to me. Um, and I'm sure it meant a lot to that individual as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, that is something that I wish a lot more young adults understood when they work at summer camp or they Mm -hmm. do anything in youth ministry whatsoever, Mm -hmm. because what ends up happening, one of the things that I've, what I've learned and realized is that a lot of my old campers, a lot of the youth that I, you know, if I speak at a church or at a youth rally, whatever, a lot of those people will follow me on social media Mm -hmm. and I become their picture of Jesus or as, um, a sermon in church this past weekend, uh, referenced uh, kind of like a living epistle right we are living yeah. epistles and, mm-hmm. and and um but this idea that you know what you do and how you behave on social media even if someone never comments or messages or responds mm-hmm. very much can have an impact on those that are following you that look up to you yeah um and you know even if one of the things that's really hard to come out of abusive situations and, and relationships is that you still want the approval of the person that hurt you Mm-hmm. Um, and so very much even, even negatively, I could see how, um, 
seeing any leader speak up Mm -hmm. um, positively and and speak up in a way that matters and is helpful and healing is, is a really big deal. Yeah. Um, So what about, you know, what about the abusive people that are in the culture itself, right? Abusive leaders that are in it. um, Would you say that there's any sort of safeguard in place to, you know, get, you know, to stop that from happening? Or do you think that it's easy for them to kind of blend in and, find a place there you know i think so um i remember just in my time as a leader if i had decided to mistreat my students or be abusive manipulative i don't feel like there was much to stop me with my students uh Mm. thankfully i tried my hardest to really be understanding of them and um really try to not perpetuate the cycle but um I don't know what the solutions are, but I feel like it's easy. I don't know. Maybe that answer will change later, but it is easy uh, for an abusive person to hide in that culture. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, when I, when I look at systems like that, I think number one, um, students need to know who their advocates are. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. students need to know who they can call to, Mm -hmm. um, to get help or to report things to. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that person needs to be in the organization. Yeah. I think that person either needs to be in the conference office or, you know, somewhere more, I mean, the conference office isn't necessarily neutral, but it needs to be someone who doesn't have a necessarily personal relationship with a lot of the staff or, mm-hmm. you know, someone who can really be that third party, um, yeah, that third party that comes in objectively rather than just automatically defending their staff member. Definitely. Um, yeah. Think, did you, I, I, I imagine that you probably as a student or even as a staff did not know like your students didn't know where they could go if they had a problem with you no, necessarily. They no, they didn't. I didn't at the time. Um actually I don't even know if I still know or not. But yeah, um, you might just assume or guess, yeah, but mm-hmm. you don't know how you're gonna be taken. Yeah, exactly. There is yeah, that's really important. The like you don't necessarily know who to turn to if your specific gripe or your specific uh, complaint is about you know the staff that you're with at the canvassing mm-hmm. program or at um, the outreach school that you happen to be at uh, like Souls West um, you might not know who to turn to yeah yeah and this is this is really hard because in this kind of culture right you're dealing with teenagers who may mm-hmm. not like over the last several years you've learned how to articulate this experience mm-hmm. but as a kid and as a teenager experiencing it, it probably would have been more difficult for you. Definitely. And it's not like we can secret shop this. We can't just send kids through it who know what to look for, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, we can't send an adult through it that mm-hmm. won't, you know, like it's, <laughs> so it's harder for us to do the research necessary in order to learn about what's happening. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there needs to be some more intentional movements happening in literature evangelism circles. And I think this story breaking is starting to cause that happen to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I know of I know of a story in in one conference years ago, where a woman who could or a girl who didn't really speak English was um, on one of her routes, right? Because they would take them in a van, drop them off, and say, "This is your street. Hit all these houses. We'll be back in an hour or mm-hmm. whatever, and pick them up." Um, she had been either attacked or almost attacked by a group of guys on. Ooh. Um, I don't believe the story ended in a rape, but I definitely know it was attacked. Um, and basically the girl couldn't speak English, which meant that she couldn't advocate for herself very well. Ooh. And so they just put her back up on the same route the next day and continued it. Like that whether or not, not she got do attacked. A good job. Oh you, my you see goodness. what I'm saying? Like, and, and they can get away with it. 
Yeah. And I don't know who those leaders are. Like, I don't know who they were. Otherwise, mm-hmm. this is something I would easily report. Yeah. Um, and at the time that I learned about this, I was not old enough that I even knew what to do or how to handle it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is like, it's, it's moments like that where this is happening. Uh, abusive behavior is happening in the denomination. And unless we speak these things, right, unless we, yeah. unless we shine a light on them, mm-hmm. it, nothing gets better. And I think one of the, the most beautiful thing in all of this is that, you know, there's something called cancel culture. Cancel culture is this idea of like, it actually just happened with Saturday Night Live. They hired an actor on, mm-hmm. someone went through his Twitter and found, or no, no, something he said, I think on a podcast. Mm-hmm. And something racist about Chinese people. And then cancel culture, all the millennials on Twitter ganged up on him and got SNL to fire him almost as yeah. quickly as mm-hmm. they hired him. Mm-hmm. And um, what I love about every conversation that I have about church leadership and about criticizing the church doesn't come from an, from an air of, or with this kind of air of wanting to attack someone or destroy someone's life. Yeah. It always comes from the perspective of wanting to change the culture and wishing that the culture was different. So it's about tearing down systems, mm-hmm. not tearing down people. Yeah. And the only reason Sasha's statement mentions people is because it was part of an official investigation into it. And so mm-hmm. she, it was a witness statement. Yeah. Like she didn't have a choice. Like that was what she had to share. Mm-hmm. But even so, um, I don't think your heart in this is to attack anyone. Yeah. Um, in fact, the only person you did call out was for something positive. Um <laughs> And I think, I think your story and, and you being willing to share it, I think it's amazing. And, and, you know, thank you for being willing to, to share it. Um, yeah. And, and um, I think this is really cool. Um, mm-hmm. So. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I, it's just, it's really cool to see in this space, the heart that people have for the system, because there is love there mm-hmm. that you have for this program and for the experiences you yeah. have. You just don't want to see it con- the negative part of it continue the same mm-hmm. way that some of your staff didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Aaron, any any final thoughts for people that are listening? If it's someone who's never experienced canvassing and now may have he- heard these stories and thought, no way, <laughs> um, you know, think of as many different groups as you want here and, and kind of speak to them. Any final thoughts that you want to leave people with? Final thoughts? Um, you know, I guess what I would say is it's hard. I feel like I've said what I want to say at least. Yeah. Not I mean, really. Hey, if you feel like you've yeah. said what you, if you've said your piece, no worries. I've said my piece. I, I think I just like to always give people the, just in case. Yes. Yeah. Just in, just in case. Um, mm-hmm. so, well, let me say this. Okay. Let me, let me ask you this. Cause we did talk about faith being, um, or, or, or it, it being tragically ironic that your success or your, your value was attached to your success in mm-hmm. your efforts, right? So, and th- what that, what picture of God that paints mm-hmm. for people. Um, so what is your view of God now um, that kind of is not that, right? So how has <laughs> your view of God evolved and what, um, what is your view of who God is now? You know, it's always been combating between this culture where like, uh, as I've said before, like your, your values sort of placed on uh, however much you can produce or how, how you can perform versus, you know, God loves you because he made you and he was still willing to die for you no matter what happened in your life. And so for me, my picture of God now has been one of my favorite verses has been Philippians 1.6, uh, being confident of this very thing 
he who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. And for me, what that says is that, you know, God's continually working on you. Um, if you're, if you don't feel like you're perfect or you're not meeting a standard, you know, that's sort of okay. Cause God doesn't really expect you to either. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still working with you no matter which part of the process that you're in. Um, and so that's been one of the most comforting things throughout these couple of years, uh, as I've been processing some of the things I went through and trying to make sense of it all. Yeah. Um, my picture of God has been, you know, no matter what he's, he's working with you. Um, and you don't have to feel bad if you're not living up to where you thought you would be. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I think that is a great final thought. Yeah. Um, and the idea that, yeah, your value is more than just what you can bring to the table, mm-hmm. but it's about God just saying, Hey, I love you and mm-hmm. I value you. And that's mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. Um, he, when, when the being whose voice, you know, with his voice mm-hmm. spoke the universe into existence also uses that voice to say you matter. Yeah. That mat like, that's all you need um, to know that and, mm-hmm. and to then make decisions based on what that value is. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't take a Lamborghini off-roading. Yeah. And the same deal. When you know something's value, you know where to place it, where to, you know, you know what trajectory you need to be on. Mm-hmm. And so having that understanding of your value and how God loves you regardless of any of that is huge. Yeah. Um, so Aaron, thank you so much for coming on again, man. This has been such a great conversation. Yeah. This is only the second time we've talked. We just had lunch one day and now we're here. Um, man, this is, this is amazing. Um, and I'm hoping that there's people out there that can really resonate with this. Mm -hmm. Um, and I hope for those who are not Adventists, for those who, uh, don't know anything about canvassing, I hope this has shown a light on it. Um, Mm -hmm. both good and bad. Yeah. Um, kind of a more complete picture, but Hey, for any of you out there, maybe who've been through canvassing programs and want to share your stories. Mm-hmm. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, you know, um, they will, you just want to say thank you to Aaron as well, or, or ask him some questions. He's willing to, he's willing to chat for a bit, um, too. So yeah. you can reach out to him on Instagram, um, mm-hmm. at bless Moomoo, and that's going to be in the show notes as well. So you can find mm-hmm. his Instagram name in there. And so you can send him a DM on there. Um, comment on a photo that that's weird. Don't do that. That's like the, (laughs) that's like the the boomer thing to do. Like you you post a photo and then someone's like, how's your, how's your brother doing? Yeah. If it's a recent photo, that's maybe excusable, but if it's an old one. Oh man, I'm looking forward to all the people that go to your Instagram and then like are like Instagram stalking you. Oh my goodness. And then end up accidentally, this happens to me a lot, accidentally likes a photo that's like three years old. Yeah. That's the worst feeling in the world. I laugh because I've been there before. I know, so like, I just I, understand. Yeah. Like, no, it's facts. So yeah. if you want to reach out to him, um, more than welcome to do so at Bless Moo Moo. You can find my contact information in the show notes as well if you want to reach out to us. Um, and to those of you who do reach out, thank you, both negatively and positively, because yeah. it, it, it helps me know I'm either on the right track or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really cool to hear people's stories. So Likewise. Aaron, again, thank you so much. Um, and um, for those listening, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all the rest of them. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. 
The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.